praise the Lord. Um, we're beginning our series on, really on, on understanding how we can draw closer to him and draw closer to the things that he wants to do in our lives and by his spirit as well. So we're looking at the first of these, which I've re-entitled re- re- Authority Over Darkness, because when we begin moving deeper into the things of God, we encounter spiritual resistance. That's just uh, a natural cause of things. And it's just the way in which um, things are. And we don't always, we don't want it, we don't invite it, but it's, it's part of what it means to be a Christian. My mum, my dear mum, was born in 1939 at the outbreak of the Second World War. She denies that she had any part to play in the outbreak of the war, but, um, but she didn't ask to be born into a conflict. She was born into it. And when you are a Christian, you're born into a conflict. You didn't want it, you didn't ask for it, you didn't invite it. It's not your fault, but there's a spiritual conflict. And in it, we are called by Christ to follow him in overcoming the darkness. And I want to just share a few insights on that as we look at the first of the passages, which is not the baptism of Jesus, but something that happens immediately after that, which is, of course, Jesus being tested in the wilderness. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Apparently, scientifically, um, when you fast for a long period of time, you lose all sense of hunger. Um, and any sense of wanting food. And then after a period of time, it comes back ferociously. And, um, and it might be at this point that Satan comes to Jesus. But he's never going to tempt Jesus on the basis of wanting more food for physical, for physical needs. He said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You see... Within Messianic expectation, when Messiah comes, he will reenact the manna in the wilderness. He will become the new Israel, if you like. Messiah is the new Israel. He reenacts. He's passed through the Jordan, if you like. He's already passed through. And so now we have this reenactment. If you are the Son of God, if you really are Messiah, tell the stones to become bread. And Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to, a, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it is also written. Notice that in the first instance, Jesus retorts Satan with the use of scripture. But when Satan misappropriates scripture, Jesus says, it is also written. And whenever that happens within society or it happens within the church, it is a responsibility of of the church of Christ to say to those who have gone astray, it is also written. 
it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Father God, we pray that you would speak to us powerfully through this passage of Scripture. Jesus has shown us what the Christian journey is like and what we're to expect and and taught us, Lord, much of why he wants us to follow him. Remember, we are called to be his disciples and to follow him. And so, Father, we pray that you would teach us on these matters, strengthen our hearts and encourage us in these matters we ask in Jesus name why does God call Jesus out of the Jordan and into the wilderness it's because the wilderness is a place of transition it's a place of change it's a place of calling and empowerment and it's a place of movement And God uses those moments in our lives, whether they're wildernesses or testing times, to change things, to move us, if you like, and transition us from calling to empowerment. One of the things which um, the late, great Dr. Derek Prince used to say from his experience of ministry and life, and that was a lot of experience of ministry and life, He said from his experience of ministry, he'd noticed that God never uses anybody he hasn't first tested. And there's always going to be in the Christian journey those times of testing. Sometimes of hardship and ordeal, even suffering. And it's going to be a transition period that brings about a birth because the birthing of something is a struggle. It requires determination and effort and strain and toil. And that's a battle almost. And we move in what God has for us and in his presence through sometimes battling, through battling. But one of the things I want to pick out from from this is that Jesus doesn't react to the devil. He responds to the word of God. He doesn't react to the devil. He doesn't come out onto the devil's agenda. He doesn't sort of debate with the enemy. He doesn't discuss with the enemy. He just goes back to what the Father has declared for his life through his word. Man shall not live on bread alone. He doesn't deal with the issues through Satan's agenda. He responds through the word of God. Every trial and difficulty in our lives needs a response. And I, we need to be called, if you like, into this response on these trials and difficulties that we face by hearing what God is saying through his word. 
I'm just going to try and illustrate. I was thinking of ways of which I could illustrate that. And I, I remembered when I, a few years ago, I, I was um, not feeling terribly well. So I went to the doctors and um, I got prescribed some drugs and was taking these tablets. And about halfway through the course, I realized they weren't my normal tablets. And um, in fact, I hadn't taken these before. So I started getting a little bit, you know, just a little bit anxious. So I thought I'd go over to the pharmacist. And I took them to the pharmacist. And when I handed them to the pharmacist and told him what my condition was, he went, Oh dear. Oh no. No, you shouldn't um, no, you shouldn't be taking these. So by this stage I'm now getting a little bit more anxious. <laughs> And, uh, and he said, no, you need to go back to your doctor and, and tell him what you're taking because he's, he's given you the wrong prescription. So I'm walking back getting more anxious. And um, so I phoned up the doctors and I said, because um, I, 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 I said that it was a medic, medication issue and they got straight through to his surgery. And I, I spoke to the doctor in person. I said, doctor, I'm terribly sorry, but... It, it sounds like um, you've given me the wrong prescription and, um, and I've been given the wrong drugs. About halfway through the course, I'm taking the wrong drugs. Call me Mr. Picky. <laughs> but is it possible that I might have the right ones? And the, and the phone went silent. It just went one of those, you know, one of those... <laughs> I, can, I can remember it now vividly, just completely quiet on the other end of the phone. And I thought, by this stage, I'm now getting quite seriously worried and, and he said on the phone, what is it you're taking? And I said, oh, it's something, 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 Panadol, whatever. And he said, um, right, stop taking that immediately. <laughs> and bring it into the surgery with you. <laughs> and I thought, no, I'm not going to let this kind of like get, I'm not going to get really, really panicked over this. Um, but interestingly enough, I, I had read in the, in the morning, I had read this piece of scripture um, which had been a powerful piece of scripture for me. And, um, and it's from 1 Corinthians 5.20 where it says, You were bought at a price. Therefore, God, therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. In other words, the Lord in that moment reminded me of that scripture. Your body was bought bought at a price and it belongs to God and and sort of so I thought you know I'm not going to get I'm not going to get anxious about this because my body belongs to Christ and I have this confidence through his word that in fact everything's going to be well of course it was but I wanted to illustrate that because that's a kind of moment for me in the wilderness <laughs> where I could have come in on, on Satan's agenda, if you like, and just got really anxious and fearful and thought of, and just gone, oh, right, I'll, I'll, I'll start Googling the drug and find out, which is about the worst thing you can possibly do because you get this great list of all these horrendous things that could happen to you. Um, or I could do what Jesus does in the wilderness and not come in on Satan's agenda and just go back to his word and let his word speak into my life. Because that's a powerful way in which we can deal with darkness. However darkness manifests itself in our lives.
Whenever Satan tempts, Jesus doesn't argue with Satan. He doesn't debate with Satan. He doesn't react to Satan. He just focuses on what the Father has said to him. And in fact, it's that intimacy that is so powerful in defeating the things that kind of harass us spiritually. It's, it's that, that decision to say, in the face of this, rather than sort of going into this place where I'm going to sort of rage at Satan and, and deal with Satan, I'm actually going to come into this place of fellowship with the Father. It's what, it's what David, the great warrior king of Israel, says in Psalm 23, when in verse 5 he says, You have laid a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. In other words, in the face of all this, I'm going to enjoy the intimacy and enjoy the fellowship with you. That's how I defeat my enemies, by enjoying my fellowship with you and enjoying that connection with you. Genuine victory is achieved through a connection with God and through his word. And ultimately, it's our relationship with the Lord that enables us to overcome the enemy. Now, that's not to say that we can't engage in spiritual warfare, but we can get too focused on it. And I think sometimes the focus can be as much a danger as it is a help. This is a famous quote from C.S. Lewis, which you might know. C.S. Lewis says in the prefix or the preface to Screwtape Letters, he says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And they themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with equal delight. <laughs> Screwtape Letters is a wonderful insight into that. And, um, well, I don't know about you, but I, I've certainly been in situations where I think um, we've kind of approached spiritual conflict in a wholly wrong way. I remember going to the Downs Bible Week um, back in the late 70s. This is going back a few years now, back in the late 70s. And then, how many of you familiar with the Downs Bible Week? You know that? You quite know? Yeah. So, after the week, um, they used to invite young people to be part of a mission um, in Brighton. In the, we'd often use this sort of rickety old church in the centre of Brighton. And we were in this mission, and, um, as, and we were having this sort of late-night praise and worship time. And as we were doing that, suddenly a lady started screaming at the top of her voice, frightening the life out of us. And then um, another woman started screaming. But there was about three of them screaming. And then... Um, and then one of the elders got up on the platform and said, I think somebody, these people are demon-possessed. Of course, I'm getting even more scared now. Um, and we need to start praying for them. There was screaming going everywhere and everything going on. And we were having to stay there that night in the church <laughs> on this mission. And, and, oh dear, I'm still recovering from it as an experience. And, um, and we stayed there that night and we decided that um, we, would, you know, we would pray and be super spiritual. And in the early hours of the morning, we could hear this strange noise. We didn't know quite what it was. So we'd start praying. And we started praying and taking on the devil. And there's, there's a little group of us and we were like, in the name of 
Jesus. We burnt this going for about half an hour. And one of my friends suddenly started, he started to do some sort of strange dance. I said, Alan, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I don't know. I don't really know. And I couldn't really, I couldn't really talk, actually, because about halfway through, I kind of metamorphosized into Reinhard Bonke. Was like, In the name of Jesus, like this. And um, this shenanigans went on for about an hour. And then at the end of it, we heard this horrifying noise. It was, <laughs> it was one of the most terrifying noises I've ever heard in my life, coming from the dark end of the church, so to speak. And it frightened the life out of us. And there was Alan, who was the, he was the prayer warrior and in-house prophet of the church. On hearing the noise said, oh, I'm going home. I'm going to go home. I oh, know I'm going home. I'm going home. And we thought, great. We can't go home because it's like the middle of the night and it's the middle of Brighton. We can't go home. It turned out it was Dave, one of the elders who had fallen asleep at the back of the church and he had a horrible habit of grinding his teeth. But it was a terrifying noise. And we'd learnt a mistake there and we'd learnt that what we had done in getting ourselves really fearful, really fearful about the enemy, was, was we'd moved in on his territory. And we got, we got worked out. In fact, if you look at the way in which Jesus, Jesus deals with the enemy, he doesn't do that. He takes authority quickly, boom, and then moves back into God's territory, straight into the scriptures. In fact, that's what he does here all the time, back into where the Lord is. You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I'm going to enjoy your presence. That's what's going to repulse the enemy more than anything else is enjoying his presence and being at one with him. What we should have done is just praise his name, declared the scriptures, and enjoyed his presence. But you learn, don't you, as you go through life. (laughs) It's all part of the growing up process spiritually. We need to learn how to take authority through his word. And if you like, if you look at what's, what Paul teaches on, on spiritual conflict, particularly on the armour of God, you'll see, in fact, most of it's about not giving room to the enemy. The armour of God is all about denying Satan access. The breastplate of righteousness, he can't get access into your heart. The shield of faith, he can't get access to you as a person. The helmet of salvation, he can't get access to your mind. We, we shut down the access of the enemy. And we just focus our hearts and our lives upon the Lord. And finally, we need to learn that we mustn't come into agreement with the darkness. And that's a really important lesson. Not coming into agreement. In other words, Jesus doesn't at any point hear what Satan is saying in the wilderness and agree with it. There's no point of compromise at all. He knows exactly what the heart of the Father is. He knows exactly what the will of the Father is. He knows that through his declared word, and therefore there is nothing in that that's going to be a compromise. We have authority over darkness by not coming into agreement with it. 
And you know, one of the great passages of scripture that illustrates this is back in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 28. If you have your Bibles there, do have a look at it. 1 Samuel 28. Those of you who know your Bibles well will know that this is where Saul, the first anointed king of Israel, is confronted with the armies of the Philistines. And there's been some recent research found. They've actually done some archaeological research on the Philistines to find they found that they were a European people, interestingly enough. And um, so the, the Philistines were ranked up against Saul. And when Saul saw the organized ranks of the Philistine peoples, he trembled in fear. And he sought the Lord. And he couldn't find the Lord. He just couldn't seem to get anything from him. And so he started to move in, if you like, on the enemy's territory. And in desperation, Samuel is consulted through a spiritualist. So Saul decides he needs to speak to Samuel. The only way to do it is to speak to him through a witch or a spiritualist. Even though spiritualism was forbidden under Mosaic law, even though um, anybody who carries out spiritualism and witchcraft under Mosaic law would be put to death, he clearly knows that in Endor there is a witch who can speak to Samuel. That's tolerating evil. That's what he's done. He's tolerated it. He's compromised. And in doing so, he's allowed the enemy more and more room. Because he's allowed that to happen, he says to himself, there's a witch in Endor. Let's see if we can go there. And the first thing he does in approaching Endor, which is actually very close in proximity to the Philistine ranks, is he takes off his royal robes to hide himself. So that's the second step of compromise. First of all, he allows it to take place. And secondly, he removes his royal robes. He's already, by his decision to engage with this, starting to lose his anointing and his position as king. Already that's taking place. The only power the enemy has over us is what we relinquish to him. He takes off his royal clothes to disguise himself. Then he promises to break the law of God for the witch because he asks her to see if she can conduct her, if you like, magic or whatever it is. And then she accuses, I know you don't have to go through the story, she accuses Saul of entrapping her. So she thinks, oh, this is just a trap that you're going to try and kill me. And in order to reassure her that it's not a trap, Saul does something else in the compromise. He reinstates her. He reauthorizes her by swearing an oath. So not only has he allowed it, not only has he taken his robes off and denied himself as king and as one who has authority, he's now reauthorized spiritualism and witchcraft within the land. And then Samuel appears and the witch is shocked Because that's not what's supposed to happen. It's supposed to be a spirit. It's supposed to enter her. And she's supposed to speak. Because, of course, it's not really a person. It's a familial spirit. 
But she's absolutely shocked that Samuel is there. And of course, when Samuel appears, and he's called up, not because the witch has authority over Samuel, but the anointed king of Israel, Saul, has authority over Samuel. Samuel then places, calls judgment upon Saul. And that's the end, if you like, of Saul's reign. Compromise. Step by step, we're called. Satan tries to lead us. He tried to do it with Jesus in the wilderness. Lure us into compromise. But we need to hold fast to the word of God. Someone once said, people do not decide to be drunkards, drug addicts, prostitutes, murderers or thieves. But they pitch their tent towards Sodom and the powers of evil overcome them. And I think that's something to be very wary of. Compromise. And if we come away from the scriptures or we listen to erroneous teaching, then we move into the Satan's agenda. It's exactly what Jesus endured in the wilderness. Satan questions, questions, questions what Jesus is and who Jesus is and what God has said in his word. And then he uses alternative scriptures. It's all of this compromise that brings about satanic programs. But we're not about that. We're not interested in what Satan's program is. We're only interested in God's program for our lives. We're only interested in what God has said to us through his word. And when God speaks into our lives, there is a new creation. It's a wonderful thing that Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, you are not a new person, not a new being. He says, you are a new creation. What does he mean by that? But if we go back, you don't need to in your Bibles, but if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you'll see in fact that when God creates the earth, the Spirit of God is hovering, meaning a Spirit of God is, if you like, waiting, poised. Waiting for what? Waiting for the Word of God. And as soon as God speaks, as soon as God speaks, the Spirit acts. There's life. And the thing that brings life is light. The very first thing that God brings in the created order is light. If we're going to bring light, which is the beginning of life, into our lives and into the lives of others, we need to hear the word of God on the, through the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit and the Word together that brings life. Noah good ever comes into our lives through disobedience. It's often through deliberate disobedience the enemy can bring all kinds of trouble to us. But we can overcome evil and we can overcome the devil and we can overcome darkness if we hold on to the truth of Christ and the truth of what God has given in his word to us. We hear the truth and we abide by the truth, and we abide in his presence through his word, the enemy then has any ground. And in each case where Satan tempts Jesus and Jesus replies with scripture, Satan then has to change his method of attack because 
that method has been cut off. And Jesus cuts off every single avenue of attack until finally he says, be gone. And he does it all through the word of God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we pray that, Lord, you teach us that we need to just abide in you to hear what your word is saying to us. We can be so impacted by circumstances around us that we actually start to then move in on that and forget that you have given your word to us and we need to seek your word to know what you're saying about our lives because it's what you say that is the determiner of all that we do. Teach us, Lord, how to abide with you. Teach us how to, if you like, enjoy a table that's presented in the face of our enemies. As in the moments of crisis that we come across in life, we do not enter in on the enemy's agenda, but we come into your presence and learn of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.